If you would please turn to this marvelous book of Romans. We are in chapter 10. And Lord willing, we'll finish up this uh, chapter today looking at verses 13 through 21. Young Jennifer came back from the third grade and reported to her mom that her teacher had taught them how babies are made. Mother, who wasn't sure how she felt about sex education at all, was thought that surely third grade was a bit premature for this type of information. Cautiously, she explored uh, Jennifer, what exactly did your teacher say? Well, she drew it on the blackboard for us. What did she put on the blackboard? Jennifer said, well, you put B-A-B-Y, you take off the Y and add I-E-S, and that's how you make babies. <laughs> Speaking of... Uh, babies <clears throat> the phone rang and on the maternity floor and a very excited voice came through this is Harold Smith and I'm bringing my wife in she's about to have a baby calm down the nurse said tell me is this her first tell me <clears throat> is this her first baby no the frantic voice replied this is her husband <laughs> <laughs> Those are just some examples of how important correct communication is. Uh, communication is so vital to all of life. Really hearing what is being said and understanding what, is, what you are hearing. Even the ability to hear is a wonderful design from our Creator. If you think of it, how sound waves, which are invisible to our eyes... Sound waves can pass through solid objects like walls and be, and be picked up uh, in, in another room by uh, tiny receptors in the inner ear. It's an amazing thing that God has created this ability to hear. But, uh, but not only to hear physically, we're going to talk about hearing spiritually today and of all the communication we receive, of all the things that we hear, the most important is to hear the gospel message. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans 10, 13 and following, the, the need to hear, to really hear that message, what it is. First of all, the, the need for the, the gospel message itself. As we ended our study last week at verse 13... We'll pick up there today. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so that becomes a vitally important part of life. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The, the need of the gospel message for people to hear it and to respond to it. Already in this passage, Paul has again and again uh, 
highlighted the need of belief, of faith. Look at verse 4, for instance. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in, on him will not be put to shame. So the crucial thing is to believe the truth, but you have to hear the truth and understand it to be able to respond to it. Therefore, in verse 13 says, for whoever, <clears throat> whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a need for that message to go out. The, the presentation of the, the gospel message we see in verses 14 and 15 <clears throat> Paul puts it in a series of questions to highlight this need. How then shall they call on him who, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how they, shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So the, the need that verse 13 surfaces is this, that people need to call upon the name of the Lord, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So then the, the question that comes up is, well, what about those who have not called on the name of the Lord? And that's why Paul goes through this series here. What about those who have not called? Well, how shall they call if they have not believed and, and how shall they believe if they've not heard and how shall they hear unless proclaimers are sent out and that's the chain that he sets up there now uh, working backwards here we see that proclaimers then need to be sent out so that people can hear the message so that they can believe what the message says and when they believe what the message says then they will call on the name of the Lord so that's the idea and this is therefore um, one of the uh, prize missionary texts in, in the Bible one of the, the great texts for, for looking at the reason why we send people out missionaries out um, but of course it's not only for people who are missionaries to go out it's really for all of us and the idea of preaching here is, is not to refer to an office like it has only in um, in our kind of context we, we would say a preacher is an office but back then this idea of, of proclaiming would have been for anyone anyone who would have told the truth been a, uh, a witness a given a testimony proclaimed the gospel so really, proclaimers need to be sent out. All of us can and should be proclaimers of the good news of Christ so that people can hear, so that they can believe, and so that they can call on the name of the Lord. 
So it's not just an office, it is, it's a ministry. Um, those who go out and do this are said to have beautiful feet. So how, how can you have beautiful feet? <clears throat> Excuse me. Look at verse 15. And, uh, and we'll also include verse 16 at this point too. And how shall they proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Now, I, I included verse 16 here because both verse 15 and 16 come from the prophet Isaiah. And where they come from in Isaiah, I think, is significant. So I want you to go back to Isaiah 52, verse 7. Seven says, um, "How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns.'" That's the verse from which Paul was led to quote, and he quoted um, like the first half of it. The rest of it, I think, is, is indeed significant as well. Who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That last part will not be said yet, because Zion, Israel, has not been restored. But the first part is still equally true, and that is, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the glad tidings of good news, and there's no gooder good news than the gospel. Well, you know, verse 16 of Romans 10 uh, is taken from Isaiah 53, 1. So, so don't go back to Romans. Look at Isaiah 53, 1. The very next verse Paul quotes is Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our report? So I, I find this not just coincidental that God had led Paul to these two verses and their, and their relationship with each other. Isaiah 52, 7 is um, uh, part of God's promised blessing to Israel in the end times and the, the gospel that would come to them and that they would one day embrace. But Isaiah 53 is the, is the chapter on the suffering servant of the crucifixion of the Messiah, which begins this way. Who has believed our report? And what is that report? Look, look at what he says here now. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness when we see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was 
despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So surely what Paul would have had in mind here, especially for Jewish readers of the book of Romans, when they came to this and were wondering about the gospel and, and so forth, they would have known to go back to Isaiah 52 and then Isaiah 53, 1 and follow this down to see here is the provision that God made. Here is the gospel that the Messiah was crucified to pay for sin. For our iniquity, our sin. Now let's go back to Romans. But Paul is not just haphazardly picking out some Old Testament verses that shored up his argument, but I believe he is directly led by God to these particular passages. Every one that he, he uses here today has a, a great significance. So, verse 15, And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things well why feet why not some other part of the anatomy you, know, you might think of how beautiful are the, the voice boxes that tell it or the, the lips that speak it or something I think the reason for feet is because the gospel was to be taken People take the gospel to other people. They don't just stand in their own home and say something about it, but they, the idea is to take it to others. And isn't that what the Great Commission says? When Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore. Go. Get your feet moving. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But perhaps more um, interesting here is why feet? I mean, why beautiful? Why beautiful feet? We don't normally think of feet as items of beauty. You won't see too many TV ads about how to have lustrous, beautiful hair on your feet. Um, you know they're they're just they're they're usually hidden things and usually for the best. Um, we don't think of having beautiful feet, so why beautiful? Well, because in in God's economy, God's value system, beauty is not measured by age or shape or outward covering, but that which is beautiful is that which is useful to God. That's beautiful to God. If it, is, if it is given to Him, if it is used by Him, that is 
beautiful to him. Now, um, we're going to have some slides of some beautiful feet here. Can uh, get someone to turn the lights down? Kurt, could you turn the lights down here so we can see the slides? These are beautiful feet. Now, do you know whose feet those are? You recognize those feet? Well, go to the next slide. Maybe that'll help. How about that? You see those toes? If they were wiggling like they were when I took the pictures, you might recognize them. Well, go to the next slide. Ah, how beautiful are the feet that carry the good news. <laughs> well, maybe the next slide will help you. <laughs> All right, that's the, that's the end of that slideshow. <clears throat> Would you agree with me, though, that those are beautiful feet? Yeah? Have, have those feet ever taken the gospel? I mean, not like that, but I mean, God has used Pastor Joel and for many decades <laughs> to, to do that. And seriously, though, when I was thinking, who, whose feet could I photograph that would really represent this? He's the, the one guy that came to mind. And for for a really good spiritual reason. So those are, in, in God's eyes, kidding aside, those are beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Something interesting about this word translated beautiful here though, is that it can also be translated timely. Timely. In fact, in almost every occurrence of this word in extra-biblical material, that is, in the New Testament time, the way this word was used just by people, not in Bible writings, but just in correspondence to each other, in almost every instance it is translated timely. So only when you come to the Bible, it's always translated beautiful. And it could be either way, can be either beautiful or timely but what really struck me about this is when I went back to Isaiah 52 7 and looked at the Hebrew word therefore beautiful <clears throat> and something unusual is that it also can be translated either beautiful or timely and so that really got me to thinking how can something be both beautiful and timely together how do those two ideas or concepts come together well, let me give you a few examples to see if, if this helps. Let, let's say uh, your house is on fire and a, a dirty fire truck pulls up next to your house. Now, personally, I've never seen a dirty fire truck. I mean, they're, they're always clean, wax, and they're beautiful, aren't they? <laughs> But let's say they had to come through some mud puddles or something. That it's a, just a yucky, dirty fire truck. Would you let that fire truck spray water on your house? No. Yeah, it would, be, <laughs> it would be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? You would think in, in the moment that that 
that that dirty fire truck was a beautiful scene to behold. You'd be glad for it. Or maybe you are, you're crawling through desert. You've been out of water for three months now. Okay, a day. <laughs> and, and you're just, you're, you're reduced to just crawling and you come upon an old goat skin water pouch. And it still has something in it. Would you drink it? Would, would you think this is a beautiful thing to behold? What if, uh, what if you were in an old western wagon train? You know, the wagons are circled and you're, you're under attack and the, the um, noble Native Americans are shooting arrows at you. And you're down to your last bullet, and you hear a trumpet. Dun, 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 dun. Here comes the Calvary. Wouldn't that be a beautiful sound? What, what's true about all those has to do with the timeliness of them. Not necessarily how appealing they are in themselves. Necessarily very appealing in appearance. But the timeliness of it combined with the necessity is what makes them beautiful. That fire truck arriving in the nick of time is beautiful to behold. That goatskin water pouch is beautiful. It's because of the necessity behind it. And because of the necessity of the gospel message, how timely and beautiful are the feet of those who take it. Hey, third, uh, hearing the gospel message. It's one thing for the message to go out, but it has to be received. And so Paul turns his attention to that in verses 16 through 21. Let's read verse 16 and 17 first of all. But they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says Lord who has believed our report so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God first of all not, not everyone wants to hear they have not all obeyed the gospel not, not everybody wants to hear it much less follow it and you will find the same thing true today <clears throat> you can bring the good news to someone they just don't want to hear it not everyone wants to hear Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out that if people didn't want to hear to shake the dust off their sandals and move on just keep giving the message and you will find those who who do want to hear whose hearts God is opening second thing we see here is that really hearing for someone to really hear that is marked by obedience in fact these these two things are synonymous in verse 16 but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says Lord who has believed our report and you see those two verbs there are used synonymous for each other to obey the gospel is the same thing as believing. To believe the gospel is to obey it. 
You can't have one without the other. So really hearing it would be marked by following it, by obeying it. Believing the gospel is not just a, a change in your thoughts, but it's a change in your life. And hearing the gospel is not just hearing new information, but having a new direction in your life. Really hearing is marked by obedience. Have I heard the word of God? How do I know? It's by, am I following the word? Am I obeying it? And note that hearing comes by the word of God, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing. And where does hearing come from? Hearing comes by the word of God. So then also faith comes by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. There, there is no other source for truth than this word of God. People are looking all over the place for other sources of truth. They might consider this as one of the alternatives and say, well, I'll, I'll give a listen to what God has to say, but I also want to read what this philosopher over here says and this atheist over here says. And but the word of God is the only source of truth. It's not that you can't read other things, and you ought to, but this is the highest level of truth. This word is truth. It not only contains truth, it is truth, and it contains life-transforming truth, and it's fine to read something else, like if you're reading something else, you read it through the lens of Scripture. You never, you don't put them side by side as if the writing and thoughts of man and we're equal to the writings and thoughts of God and you certainly don't judge God's word in light of them it's the other way around we read other things through the lens of the scriptures because this is truth faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God this is the source of truth you're not going to find it anywhere else says Dr. Whitcomb is fond of saying God only wrote one book and this is it. This is his one book. You don't need all those others. This is it. Know and do this. The source of truth. Now, <clears throat> verse 18 and following talk about hearing problems. There are all kinds of hearing problems to be addressed um, one of them is uh, selective hearing maybe you found that in your own family uh, if you uh, <clears throat> say something about dishes to your teen dishes say it loud and clear dishes they don't hear it it's marvelous it's tuned out but they could be at their neighbors and you whisper, pizza. <laughs> They're there. Got it. We all have some selective hearing, don't we? You, you know, that's true when it comes to the Word of God as well. 
there are parts of this that, that I can say, yeah, give it to them. <laughs> there are other parts that make me a little uncomfortable, a little challenged and convicted. So we can have selective hearing. And I think that was the case with Israel concerning what Messiah would be like. So in addressing these hearing problems, we'll, we'll do it by um, a series of questions here that Paul is addressing. First of all, has the sound gone out? Has the, the message or the sound been made available? Verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, of course they have. In fact, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Has the sound gone out? Absolutely it has. Not only has it gone out, it has gone out universally to the whole, all of creation. What is surprising here is that this quote, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world, is from Psalm 19, which is a psalm of the creation, of general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of, the God, of God. We're told of how the, the stars proclaim that God is creator night unto night utters forth speech and so forth and their sound has gone out to all the earth the idea is that that God is supreme over all and he is creator of all that has gone out and should have made people listen to him See, Paul had addressed this earlier in the very first chapter of Romans. So if you go back to Romans 1, verse 16 through 21. <clears throat> For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith so there's the gospel the importance of it but now look for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Even if the sound has gone out, they have, they have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world, the heavens declare the glory of God of God for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened and so back to Romans 10 Verse 18, I think there are 
couple of reasons why Paul uses this passage from Psalm 19. One is to talk about the, the universality of the message going out that creation declares it to all of the world, but also particularly that Israel should have known. Have they not heard? Yes, indeed, they have, he says. The second question is, well, if the sound has gone out, was it, was it clear? Was the message clear? Or maybe it was garbled. Was the message clear? Verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? That is, did they receive the message? Did they understand it? Did they, did they know it? Did Israel not know? For first Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Now this is a quote from Deuteronomy 32 um, where God is warning Israel just before they're entering into the promised land. And the message there in Deuteronomy 32 is don't reject the spiritual message. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't reject that message to love God. But if you do, here's what's going to happen. I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. And so the fitting thing here is that that's what God had said to them. He had clearly spoken to them. They knew, they understood. And he's telling them, don't reject the spiritual message. But they did. But God is also saying, here's what I would do. All the way back in Deuteronomy 32, he was prophesying this, forecasting this. I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. So now talking about that coming true with Gentiles coming to have a relationship with, with Jehovah God. The message was clear. The next question, which I think is related, is could others hear? Well, um, verse 20, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was, found <clears throat> I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. So, Remember the first question is, did the message go out? Yes. Could it be understood? Yes. Could others hear? Yes. See, there wasn't a problem with the communication in that nobody could hear, but others could hear as well. The problem was with, with Israel. By the way, note that Paul's testimony here that he's drawing from the Old Testament is from the law and the prophets he quotes uh, Moses in verse 19 the, uh, the lawgiver Moses and Isaiah in verse 20 calls the law and the prophets to the stand to give testimony but Isaiah is very bold I was found by those who did not seek me I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me that reminds us also of Romans 9, verse 30. 
what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness even the righteousness of faith it wasn't that the Jews could not hear they refused to hear and so God sent the message to others to to the Gentiles and they gladly heard God says I was found by those who did not seek me I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me and the Gentiles by the thousands turned to God Justin Martyr who lived about the middle of the second century wrote there is no people Greek or barbarian or of any other race by whatever name or manners they may be distinguished however ignorant of arts or agriculture whether they dwell in tents or wander about in covered wagons among whom prayers and thanksgivings are not offered in the name of the crucified Jesus to the father and creator of all things he's saying the gospel has spread to all kinds of people you can't find a group of people among whom there's not some testimony of Jesus Christ that they have come to know him. Half a century later, the historian Tertullian adds, we are but of yesterday, meaning we, we have just recently been established. We are but of yesterday, and yet we already fill your cities, islands, camps, your palace, senate, and your forum we have left you only your temples. R.H. Glover, in his book, The Progress of Worldwide Missions, wrote, On the basis of all the data available, it has been estimated that by the close of the apostolic period, the total number of Christian disciples had reached half of a million rapid expanse of the gospel in that first century I was found by those who did not seek me others could hear others did hear and it was proven over and over again as thousands came to embrace the savior even under the threat of martyrdom of, of death they came fourth question we might ask is well in this giving out of the message was, was the sender of the message patient and the answer again is yes verse 21 but to Israel he says all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people all day long he, God keeps being patient he is not obligated to be so patient. He's not obligated to be patient at all. He is not obligated to show any mercy. But he says, all day long I have stretched out my disobedient and contrary people. And finally, were the hearers receptive? No. No. God had done everything needed to get the message to them but were the hearers receptive no verse 21 again 
All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. A gainsaying people. They wanted to argue about it instead of by faith receiving it. They disobeyed were contrary. Now just a couple quick things in closing and application. It's one thing for us to look at such a passage and to relate it to an historical time of the non-reception by the Jews of the gospel. But how, how about us today? How about our, our lives today? We need to have our own spiritual hearing checked. And if you look at the ABC of point three, here's some questions to ask yourself. Do I want to hear the truth? Do I really want to hear what God has to say? This is a question you have to ask your heart and answer within yourself. Do I want to hear this? Secondly, is your hearing marked by obedience? When you do hear it, do you obey? Is your heart willing to follow God and obey what he says? Or are you still in an argumentative role? Are you a disobedient and contrary person? Or are you obedient to this word? And the third is, are you tuned into God's word as the source of truth are you hearing this word and saying this is my source of truth and finally because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God we know that that is not only true for salvation that is true for everyday life faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God it's equally true for every day of our life as it is for coming to Christ. How are you going to have a life of faith to live for God? It, it is by this word of God. That's how you're going to have faith to live for God. It is by this word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. How are you going to have the faith to face life this week? It's by the word of God. How are you going to have faith to make wise, godly decisions? It is by the word of God. How are you going to have faith to live a life that is pleasing to God and fulfilling to you? It is by the word of God. It always comes back to this for us. It's by this word. So I want to challenge you if, if you have not yet heard the word of the gospel, your ears have been stopped to it or for some reason you've been confused by it, I pray that you would open your heart to hear the message that Christ died for you. For those of us who know him and trust him, pray that our hearts would be open to his word and all that he has to tell us. Um,
We're, we have a song we're going to sing in closing. Jesus, thank you. But let's go ahead and stand and I'll lead, lead us in prayer as we do.